grotto pod. Still, you're not in the grotto pod. You are in a hotel room in Boise, Idaho. I am here. Bridget is also here now. I'm not saying anything because I got in trouble. She got in trouble. We are sitting on a couch facing each other like Donnie and Marie, but we're not going to start singing. (laughs) We, meaning both of us, are not going to start singing. All right. I'm a little bit country. Uh, This week on the grotto pod, as you may have heard, we're mobile. We are fully mobile. We are as mobile as it can be. Uh, I can't get over it. It's pretty crazy. In about an hour, we're going to sit up in front of what hopefully will be an audience, which Mm. might be empty chairs. You know what? I feel like our guest is a crowd pleaser. Our guest did her own podcast yesterday and had 75 people crammed in that little corner. Okay, but there's a reason for that. Her name is August McLaughlin, and she is another hyphenate, really. And that's oh, 100%. And that's one of the I want to talk to her about, because yeah. she is a writer. She wrote, um, five years ago, she self-published. She a novel. published a novel yeah. called In Her Shadow. That did well. Uh, uh, Kirkus called it an engaging story with an inventive structure and... An intriguing focus on body image issues. Which she is known for. Yeah. Her book, which comes out, uh, a lot has changed for August McLaughlin in the last five years. Yeah, her book comes out. um, uh, We'll get the exact date from her. I saw galleys of it yesterday. Um, It's called Girl Boner. I'm just going to get right to it. I know. It's kind of hard for both Larry and I to say it. Girl Boner. Yep, there you go. Yep, there you go. Said by both of us. And she has a podcast by the same name uh, that I have listened to. Branded Girl Boner Radio. Awesome. Basically, she is as a body image and sex expert. Uh, the, the I can hardly imagine a more uh, you know demographic that's going to meet a lot of people because that's a big, 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 big topic. This. Plural. Well, yeah, topics plural. I don't think we'll ever run out of stuff to talk about. Exactly. Because uh, the, the subhead of, of her book, which is called Girl Boner, is the Good Girl's Guide to Sexual Empowerment. I love it. Empowerment. How do you know if you're a good girl? We're going to ask her that. I want to know. As a Catholic girl, I I wonder. Yeah, well, you should bring that up. I'm going to. She's not Catholic. I'm guessing she's Lutheran because she is Minnesota. Oh, yeah. 100% and blonde and smiley. Yeah. I met her last night, nice as could be. Awesome. Very nice woman. Um, And I think. Did you think she might not be nice? I thought she would be edgy. more edgy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, girl boner sounds so edgy, and then right. she's really she seems really accessible. I have not met her yet. No, but she is very accessible, yeah. and um, yeah. And I wonder, you know, and we'll talk about that a little bit. I wonder if you know that may be a little bit of the secret of her, her success mm-hmm. is that she is so accessible, and she isn't. I don't want to use the word threatening. She's not threatening. She's I'm threatening. unthreatening. Yes. Well. Yeah, I mean, I think that she's also very matter-of-fact in a way that is refreshing. Yeah. About sex. Right. About body image, about... Right. And, in, you know, I, I would like to get uh, sort of drilled down into where all this came from. Um, I know that she was a model. Yeah. And she did. She said she struggled with anorexia uh, and body not, issues. Not uncommon. Not uncommon for models, true. Yeah. Um, so I'm sure there's a, a line, a, a, a linear path maybe that led to her choosing this area of interest. What I'm interested in, especially, is she starts as a novelist, and Mm -hmm. Larry, this is a little newsflash for you, there's not a lot of money in that, generally. Yeah, generally, it can happen. I've heard there's not a lot of money in nonfiction. Let me tell you, everyone in Grotto Land, there is not a lot of money in nonfiction either. There's just not a lot of money. So, the thing I find um, heartening, hopeful, exciting, is that she didn't even exactly pivot. She just made it all come under one umbrella of creativity, positivity. Well, and that's another thing I'd like to talk to her about is that she has created a brand. 
Yeah, that's what I mean. And to what degree now she has responsibilities to that brand. Yeah. And how oh, much yeah. time she has left over to actually write. Right. Although, I mean, isn't, I mean, podcasting, I guess, isn't writing, but she does do writing. She wrote a book. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, we'll see, you know, what comes next. Is it going to be a novel? Is it going yeah. to be another uh, yeah. uh, nonfiction Like, book? does this open more doors for you so that you can do that kind of writing more? Or is that no longer something that interests you? Yeah. So, so uh, August McLaughlin's kind of a unicorn for us. Someone who's yeah. really... Uh, kind of on top of the zeitgeist, really, you know? She's, she's a TED Talk. She has a TED Talk. Yep. Yep. We have yet to have, well, I think no, we've had Julie, one TED Talker, maybe Julie two. lifcott Hames has a TED Talk. I know Caroline. Caroline Paul's on, coming up. She has a really big one. She is a TED Talker. So August will be our middle. Yes. TED Talk so, person. Uh, you know, so we got this really cool little rig going on here, this little portable thing that we're recording I on. I can't believe we haven't had you this You probably before. can't tell because it sounds fantastic. But Am the I hard talking part too is, close to the mic? You might be. Okay. I don't have a counter to know how long we've been on. So uh, I think we're going to head out now. Oh, yeah. It's after five. We got to go. We got to go uh, make sure our, all of our uh, little audio stuff is set up correctly. Mm, that's so nerve The next thing you hear will be the sound of an adoring crowd. Yeah. for our guests because they don't know who we are. But Correct. They will be adoring. <laughs> We've had so few adoring crowds regardless. Uh, really? Well, you can't fit them into the grotto pod. True. There's only room for three in there. <laughs> if that, really. All righty. So we are off. And, yep. Uh, Here we go. Next thing we're going to go do. walk the streets of Boise. Yeah. Yes, we will. So Did, have we Boise. said we're in Boise? I said we're in Boise. Okay. I Yeah, nice. Yeah, I'm a writer. Uh, I have a book coming out. 
an assignment in third grade and they got it back and the teacher pointed them out for skill as a writer. As I, it's, it's when you discovered your 100 mile an hour fastball was right to make a sports analogy. Did you have that moment? I did. Uh, interestingly though, I certainly did, looking back, have moments along the way. In high school, my senior year, writing was the only class I paid attention to and usually showed up to. But it took me a while to get to that moment where I was like, oh my gosh, I'm a writer. And it literally was that all the lights turn on. Mm -hmm. I was working as an actress in Los Angeles and- Wait, 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 back up. Okay. <laughs> How'd you get there? Yeah. How did I get to be an actress in Los Angeles? And I know you modeled as well. Oh. Yes, so I grew up in Minnesota. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and after high school, I took a modeling contract. New York City. You just took one. This is out there for the table. Yeah. <laughs> so you grabbed it. Yeah, got me around. It's sure. Cool. And uh, I've been in theater, so I love the performance part. I got to see the world. But I'd also grappled with a lot of body image struggles. Understandable. Which both drew me into the work, ironically, because you want this reason to be validated and to slim down is what I had believed about myself. Oh, so you're saying it helped validate uh, an eating disorder. Very much so. I actually did develop a very severe eating disorder. I was diagnosed when I was living in Paris, and uh, I've been going for a run on the river in the morning. It's this beautiful, gorgeous sky, sunrise. I could tell in front of me, and I felt dirty and disgusting, mm -hmm. and really kind of observing that strange contrast. Uh, and I collapsed. And when I came to, I was in a medical center somehow. I was diagnosed with anorexia and told that it's a little desire. Well, so but what, what, what's your response when someone diagnoses you with anorexia? Do you go, oh, you're right, or do you no? I was much more of the no. I thought, oh, these must be some crazy French doctors. They don't know what they're talking about. I was like, your industry, you know, I don't think it's acknowledged in the same way. It's so true, and the thing about anorexia and a lot of eating disorders, but I think anorexia in particular, there's so much dysmorphia that goes on, right. and the more that you're starving, the more your cognition suffers. So I did not see my, I, I don't have any memories of being as emaciated as I now know I was. When you see pictures, that's not Correct. what you saw Yes. But I would guess that's probably not unusual. No, it no, seems like it's part of the pathology. Yeah, yeah, it, it is. It's terrifying. It's. I remember this one time I was at a gym in Paris because, of course, everywhere I went, I had to find a gym. I was very obsessed about that. And I was walking toward a mirror, and it came up like halfway. And I saw these legs in the mirror, and I thought, 
wow, but those legs look unhealthy. And they were kind of bruised. And I thought, I have a bruise there. And I had this really weird, like, reality-shifting moment where I got closer and I saw me. I realized it was me, and suddenly I saw what I saw. I mean, that is how much it, it disrupts right. your perception of yourself. Right. So, and then you lie to yourself and think, that, well, the eating disorder is really lying to you, I guess. But I told myself, oh, I just saw something you fine, I lied to you, you both have the same bruise. You know, like oh, you, wow. you just go to those. You really lied to yourself. Oh, totally, totally, because there's so many myths about eating disorders, too. I thought, <coughs> I never stopped eating, and I thought, Anorexia meant you starve yourself. Right. Mm -hmm. I ate, I, I ate pretty regularly, uh, way too little. Mm -hmm. And so when I was diagnosed, I thought, okay, there's something wrong with me. I knew that something was wrong. Mm -hmm. And I was journaling a lot. I, I had kept a journal for years. So writing? So I was writing. I was writing. And I started writing about the cancer in my soul with the word I used, or the phrase I used. And over time, my journal, I have this one journal that is so heartbreaking to me because you can see I'm writing thoughts and feelings and gradually calorie counts come in and then grades for my day and angry messages to myself and it's like this monster came out of me and I'm like yelling at myself. Well, <clears throat> I don't really, I don't know anything about anorexia clearly, but um, it, it's a symptom, is, is, it a, is it an end? A means to an end of itself, or is it a symptom of something else? What got you to that point? I mean, you say obviously the industry you were in didn't help. Right. But Other lots than of people can do that. Forcing me to kind of hit bottom, I guess. Right. That's a great question, and I would say eating disorders are really complex. So usually it's not like one specific cause. All addictions, in a way. Absolutely. That's where I was kind of heading. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I do have an addictive personality. I think some people are more prone to that. But a huge factor for me was that I hadn't embraced my sexuality. And it was a complete surprise to me. I was in treatment in Minnesota, and I was going to like this day program where I was, you know, had to eat these certain foods and talk to a therapist and all this stuff. And nothing was really working. And I was lying to my therapist as well. And I wasn't that normal. Is that where you're, you're like, you know, you hear the guys in rehab where they're thinking, as soon as I get out of here, first thing I'm going to do. So you're, as soon as I get out of here, first I'm not easy. Well, kind of. I, first of all, it was lovely to be able to just talk about my feelings with okay. somebody. So that was amazing. But what ended up happening was I developed another addiction uh, to diet pills. And when I mentioned that to her, she said, well, I'm going to put you in a detox program. And so I said, okay, I gave them up. And I hadn't. So then, you know, I wasn't ready to get to mm -hmm. heal. But nobody asked me a single question about my sexuality. That's so interesting. I, I, I mean, it seems very American. Like, I wonder if you had stayed in France, that would have been different, hmm. or if it just wouldn't have been treated in the same way. Like when you were saying that uh, you had this phrase, "the cancer in my soul." The first thing I thought of was, "That's so French." It is cancer in my soul. But what question but, would they have asked instead? No, what, no, what, what would you? Yeah, what, what were you looking I would for? Call, well, what I wanted. I thought I'm going to go to therapy for a month. I thought I'd go in and the first day they would diagnose me with the real thing I had. They would tell me why I had this and they would fix it. Right. And then I could be as thin as I wanted to, meaning I still had weight to lose in my head. So I thought, then I'll, I'll lose the rest of the weight without being so miserable because 
It was a blessing that I was struggling with depression at the same time. Not everybody with anorexia does. Really? That, that surprises me, actually. Yeah, it's a lot of people do, which I think the blessing in that is if you want to be happy, if you want to not feel depressed, something's motivating you. Yeah. So that's good. Um, but, you know, it turned into quite a long process. And I was actually sitting in a college classroom, and I wrote about this in my, my Girl Boner book as well. I was sitting in this classroom, and it was a psychology class, and the professor stood up and she said, today we're gonna talk about sex. And I just was like, what? I, I have never talked about sex before. And would you call it a function of where you grew up? I was gonna ask that too, and how you grew up. I think partly, yes. Although I have to say, we still aren't learning that much. I, I agree with you. I mean, uh, Larry and I are from San Francisco. Our kids were raised in San Francisco. I don't think they have great sex education, actually. And yeah. why would Bridget want you to know that we're the two squares people in San Francisco? That's true. <laughs> <laughs> the two squares people in San Francisco Here we are representing girl boner. We came to Idaho yeah, representing San Francisco. But it's a, so I see where you can point to this as a defining moment that eventually led to the brand. Yeah. yeah. But it seems like it was a real long path to get there. And we got to weave writing into that too. So other than your journals, are you doing- Wait, I want to know about science. We'll get to that. Okay. Other than your journals, are you doing any writing at this point? Well, the eating disorder robbed me of my writing and my everything. Are, are you a slave to an eating disorder where you'd be a slave to say heroin addiction? Is it all about feeding the eating disorder? Yeah. Yeah, and I can only speak for myself, but I do know that that I've heard that from a lot of people who have eating disorders. I developed binge eating habits, not habits, compulsions, I guess, in the healing process, which were actually quite life-saving from a physical standpoint, and helped me emotionally because that was so shameful for me that I want I, I missed my anorexia. I, I talk about this in the book as I missed anorexia like a long lost soulmate. It was like this love affair that started out so magical, like you meet this guy and everything's amazing, and then he becomes a stalker. Well, that is exactly yeah. how people oh, describe. I was just gonna say that's alcoholism. alcoholism. Right? Yeah, yeah I, I believe it. I do think they're all just different manifestations. Yeah, I, I agree too. Yeah. 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 Um, back to Bridget's question. Right. So, sex guilty you have a hat on. I'm well, not the one saying, let's talk about sex, that's not enough. Right, so what that did... No, I have a George Michael song on my head. I'm sorry. I'm not going to sing it now. Okay. I thought that was square. Okay. Uh, so, the reason I know it helped me was because, all of a sudden, literally just that awareness set off this curiosity in me, and this passion, and also some anger. And I had never really allowed myself to feel angry before. And I got so pissed off at the culture that says that we have to look a certain way to have value, because eating disorders are not about shape or size or aesthetics, actually. Just as other addictions are not really about the thing. And so that, like the Gloria Steinem quote, the truth will set you free, but first it'll piss you off. That's like so motivating. So it wasn't a glorious moment of realization. You were like having sex and not a realization. You were thinking about sex. Well, like I had of sex. right. Well, I had the epiphany in class. Yeah. I literally went home to my apartment, 
And uh, I remember talking to my boyfriend about it, terrified him, because I was like, did you know that nobody talks about sex and women don't know anything? Oh, yeah. And what about the clitoris? And he was just like, I mean, I never stopped talking, but I literally have not stopped talking about it since. Um, but it took a while to get it to the, the writing phase. Um, I, I started acting next. Once I had the, the epiphany about sexuality, I had to do a lot of self-work, you know, and that was really empowering. I learned a lot about myself and my own sexuality, and it was the first, I didn't want to starve my body away anymore because I respected it. And so I decided, kind of connect to that, I was like, you know what, at first I was really scared to kind of leave Minnesota again after always wanting to leave Minnesota before that because I almost died and my family is amazing and I was like, I don't know if I can do this. So I ended up basically in a relationship, not realizing this was the reason, but so that I'd have like a partner to go somewhere with. It took me a while to realize that that's what happened. So that's how you ended up in LA? First in Miami and then LA. Okay. LA. To do the acting thing, and, and this is you mentioned it earlier. This is when you got the other light went off with the camera writer. Yeah, yeah. I was in an acting class, and I had written a short film, uh, loosely based on my eating disorder experience, to feature myself as actors strategically do. Yeah. And it was slow season, and it was very interesting because I, I wrote it. I was sitting at a casting, and I ended up talking to this producer, and. He was like, what are you working on? Scrambling all these pages. I had no idea how to write a screenplay whatsoever. And so we were talking about it. He liked the concept. It ended up getting picked up for production. Uh, it didn't get produced because there was a big writer's strike. But what was interesting about it getting picked up, which if you know anything about the film business, that is like, I know, it's a lot of steps. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a lot. Um, but it was this huge moment, but I felt heartbroken and I couldn't figure out why. I was like, why do I feel this weird like dyspnea? Like I feel really off kilter. And then one day I was sitting in an acting class and the teacher said, we're gonna get up and just tell a story. Something difficult you went through, just talk about it. And at that point, because I've done all this healing work, I kind of thought, I'm gonna disconnect from all that eating disorder stuff and I'm this is the new me and I'm acting and I'm just gonna forget that. And for whatever reason I got up and I started talking about the day I was running in Paris. And it was so visceral to me. Like I chose thinking about it now because it was such a profound experience. And afterwards, this actor in the class who I respected so much, he was the one who was like always working. And he came up to me and he's like, you're a really good storyteller. And, 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 and that's actually something I think people don't realize about writing is that many people have a facility for words, but the really hard thing is storytelling. Absolutely. Mm. And to have a talent for storytelling is the most important thing. Mm, and, rare, and the rarest. But you know, one thing that strikes me is for someone who has seen some harrowing times, you seem to be pretty facile at seeing opportunity and being confident about it. I go, yeah, you're right. I'm a storyteller. Boom, here we go. <laughs> I've always been very laser. Yeah. It, in a negative way when I was, you yeah. know, if, if you channel yeah. that into an addiction, it is <laughs> you can be really like the, the best at writing. I was really good at it um, <laughs> until I wasn't because after a while it takes over. But I, uh, I did, I definitely still have compulsion kind of, you know, tendency, but I've learned to channel that energy into things that are really gratifying for me. Well, it certainly sounds like you're not the kind of person who would have that epiphany and then go, 
I could no way, I could never. Oh my god, no. I literally no, went home, I turned down a TV show I had been. What TV show? It was a Swedish TV show. I was going to go to Sweden. Like against type, I see. Yeah, we're going to have her as the weird man. For those of you listening at home, Especially if you're in a, in a room full of civilians. Right. <laughs> Eventually they'll say, you know, I've always thought I had a novel in me. Okay. Yeah, actually, right. You keep it in there, <laughs> Yeah, no, that's really true. I, uh, but, and not to interrupt, yeah. it's awfully empowering to start out by saying, I'm a writer. I actually think it's vital. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. There, there is something about stating it that does channel the way that you yeah. treat your own work. I think it's really important. It says you're taking it seriously from yeah. the get-go. My favorite thing is that now you can say to people, um, they say, uh, what do you write? And you can say, oh, I have a book called Girl Boner. Um, and then they have to ask a follow-up question. <laughs> what is a Girl Boner? Exactly. <laughs> or what, uh, yeah, what's it about? Oh, I want to ask you about that. Uh, can you say the subtitle again? The Good Girl's Guide to Sexual Empowerment. What makes a good girl? So a good girl is someone with strong values and a big heart who feels like they can contribute or want to contribute to the world somehow. And they, they learned that sexuality or sex and goodness don't necessarily pair well together. Bridget, you're Catholic. Correct. How does that jive with you? I love it. I think it's awesome. I think, you know, I 
was, we were joking about this earlier, because I mean, you may have heard about the Catholic girls. <laughs> yeah. So um, that's why I'm fascinated by what makes a good girl a good girl. We have a friend, Zara, who has a podcast called Good Muslim, Bad Muslim. And it's about how good Muslims are good Muslims, are bad Muslims to people who think they're good. I can't, it's hard to explain. But it's a little bit the same with the Catholic girls. You know, when you're a Catholic girl, that's kind of sexy. It's kind of a naughty phrase. But I, I think the idea is... <laughs> so what but makes a good Catholic girl sexy? Uh, Catholics <laughs> seem to put more weight into that phrase, you know, be a good girl. Uh, and oh, huge. And that yeah. was a huge thing for me when I was a child, always being told to be a good girl. And I think it was actually pretty crushing. Um, and that's why I asked that question. I love the idea of a good girl being someone who is has their own values and embraces their sexuality. But let me ask this, Ari. Do you have to sell that definition to people who come with a preconceived idea of what a good girl is? You know, you know what's interesting is people, when it strikes them, they go, oh, they, they get it. Mm -hmm. They're like, oh yeah, because it doesn't necessarily mean that they consider themselves you know, a good girl now, but it's they were they grew up believing that you know and that they want to be good they that we want to live full lives because it's not like we don't want to be good it's just the definitions of good or what are off right. so I'm trying to put into that definition of good girl sex and sexuality however you define all of that for yourself <clears throat> but when you decided you want you were a writer this was still in the future you went the traditional route first right you said I'm going to write a novel almost yes so I I gray vomited a memoir did you say gray vomited no <laughs> Right. No, vomited? I said I green vomited. Oh, green vomited. Well, I'm like, come on, it's gray matter. <laughs> totally. Yeah, no, I, I let that out just to get it out. I just felt like I needed to, with no intention of doing anything in particular with that. And I knew that because I'm somebody who needs to, like, I'm not somebody who can act and write. I know people do it, and it's mm -hmm. awesome if you can. I needed to write all the time. And so I decided if I want to make money writing, I need to be able to get paid sooner than you know the novel's finished or yeah. the memoir. So what I did was I contacted this newspaper website in LA that had featured me as an actress, and I said, hey, I, I noticed you don't have a nutrition column. And I had some nutrition certifications from that I just to learn about wellness for myself I had taken. And I said, could you take down that other thing about me and can you please do a nutrition column for, for free? I just want to have place. Mm -hmm. And they were totally down for it. This is the way everyone should start. Yes. You know, get and, clips. Yeah, get clips and, and take your creativity. Yeah. And, and more and, advice for yeah. would-be writers out there. People will let you do stuff for free. You offer them stuff for free? <laughs> Everybody no. needs yeah. content. Yeah. Just Especially don't keep now. doing it for right. free. That's right. the trick. That's the hard yeah. part when you get to the party. Well, yeah, and, and you have to figure out where that line is. It's, it's actually hard. Yeah. Yeah. It can be, yeah, for sure. But what I did was I, every week, was looking through, like, Craigslist and anywhere I could find writing gigs and sending in my clips and sending in a resume. And eventually... So smart. Even I had a business gigs. Yeah. Yeah, I guess I was. I, I didn't really... I guess I'd always been doing... Kind of running my own business as a yeah, performer and model and actress. So it seemed natural to me to be like, okay, just make it happen. Well, seeing where you're at now... Again, we were talking about you as a brand. Yeah. It does seem pretty fabulous. You have a business mind. Mm. Yeah. Thank you for that. That's that's a compliment to me. I'm still learning. I have a lot to learn. Um, but I love working with Amberjack Publishing. I've been learning a lot from them. They're releasing my girl in the book. And uh, shout out. 
Oh. <laughs> you go there. We've you done shout 60 out. shows together, so sometimes <laughs> and you know how we keep interrupting each other? That, that's our room. That's our <laughs> But we, before the show, obviously used the term trademark lawyer. And Bridget and I looked at each other. Because <laughs> 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 we may not be so good this time. But back to but okay, so you're sending in clips, you're doing all the things that really all starting writers should do, and you write memoir, also great, and then you write a novel. I mean, a novel is a major undertaking. It is, and I, it seems so huge to me. I remember reading so many books and thinking, I could never do this. Right. Like, how do you how right. do that? Where do you start? Yeah. And how I started, I kind of accidentally tricked myself into it because I work really well with deadlines, and I realized that about myself quickly. So I started looking for deadlines. So I would look for these contests where you could send in. There was this like first, it was like a short story contest or a first chapter contest. So a short story that I started writing, a psychological thriller based on my eating disorder experience. Because while I didn't feel like it was time or even just like my story, that it was just things about. I didn't feel like anorexia was my story. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, what is thriller? I feel like it needs to be. You can't be like. Was the monster like a chocolate cake or something? <laughs> no. But to that point, it's like you can't really write about anorexia and make it yeah. an all out comedy if you want. I mean, it's yeah. a terrifying right. illness. Right. And so I thought one of the ways. One of the things I wanted to accomplish with it, in addition to obviously first, we want to tell a story that people are engaged with and they find entertaining, hopefully, with a thriller, a psychological thriller, you hope that people get, you know, that suspense feeling from it. But second to that, I hope that people might get an understanding of what it feels like to have an eating disorder because I started, I had been speaking a bit about my eating disorder experience throughout my recovery process. And so I started getting a lot of feedback from parents and relatives and boyfriends and partners of people who are like, I do not understand why she will not eat. I do not, I don't get this. Like how, why is this happening? And I thought the only way to really cultivate empathy is to tell stories. And so I think a psychological thriller because it puts you into that mindset. But that that idea too of being able to do good as as well as doing well Mm -hmm. by telling your story. Did that eventually, I mean, is that is that the, 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 the framework that became Bill Miller? The doing well enough to tell your story? Yeah. In a way, yeah. I mean, it, it became such a, a passion for me. I've always felt a sense of purpose. I, want, I need to have a sense of purpose in what I'm doing or I have a hard time sticking with it. So even when I was acting, I, I just had the sense, like, I want to create also. If I can create films, then maybe I can do something with some important meaning or message, and so it, Girl Boner quickly became activism for me. And I, after my psychological thriller was published, I did like hybrid self-publishing with an, with an agent. Independent publishing. Independent publishing. Yeah. I like that. I uh, I asked my agent, well, what can I do while you're marketing this because I want to help, right? Now, for the audience, I, I don't want you to short sell. That's brilliant because you got some good reviews and you sold some books. I did, and it's controversial as most of my work tends to be. <laughs> what makes it controversial? Uh, well, it is a psychological thriller, so I thought that people would, first of all, you know, assume that it might be like really gritty, dark, and have some. Uh, but it was my my first agent was marketing it a little bit as women's fiction, which yeah. is a strange term anyway. But also, it has kind of a soft 
seal, right? Like when you hear it, people think it means like it's cozy or something. And this story has like incest in it and a lot of dark themes. And so uh, it's, and it's, you know, there's two different plot lines, two different characters. One, you don't know who the person is, but she's locked up in a basement. Ooh. And none of that actually happened to me, by the way. It's loosely based. I wasn't like chained to my basement. Well, I always wonder when authors talk about you know, they always talk about mining your own life for information. I, I've always taken that to mean, well, maybe it could mean you're mining themes, not necessarily actual scenes, right. but more importantly, the theme, the things that are important to you. Yeah, I think that's really accurate. And certainly, I love reading friends' books because you do see them. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, I think that happens quite a lot. But yeah, the themes were much more. But it is one of those similar. weirdest things about writing fiction. I'm a nonfiction writer. And people are always trying to figure out where I've messed up and not told the truth somehow. Um, but all my friends who write fiction, people always want to know what's true in fiction. Yeah. That's like the thing they're obsessed with. Yeah, that's really the first question, isn't it? Like, how much of this is true? Yeah, yeah. Did that really happen? Which was interesting because when my, my brother read my first like final final ish draft, and wow, was he freaked out? Oh yeah, very. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, my husband read it and was like, that was in your head? <laughs> yeah, like nightmares. Well, there is a certain contrast to what that. we see. Yeah. That sort of coming out. Totally, yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, people have a perception of what a thriller like, thriller author will look like, uh -huh. you know, act like, and, right. you know, yeah. not necessarily this. Not so, necessarily no, that. Yeah, um, but, but yeah, I've always loved thrillers. And so it was interesting, My when my brother read it, he saw, he noticed things about my own life that I put in that I had oh, picked up right. on. And one was, I had written in, there were two older gentlemen in the story, and basically he realized that the grandfather that we had, who was so wonderful and died too early, too young, he lived on. They're the characters. And oh, you got to bring him back. I did. And then the grandfather who was abusive and, and scary, he was not the one to make it. Like I did like a, a reverse, a reversal, yeah. and Wish when he said that, I was like, ah, "You're right." <laughs> yeah. That is one of the great things about writing fiction. I write fiction too. You get to control everything in that world. Yeah, yeah. You take your reality and be like, boop, boop, boop. Yep. "Okay, that's how it's going to be." Yeah. Okay, so after that book came out, then uh, where were you standing as far as what I'm what I'm going to do next? I'm going to write another novel or. Like going a different direction. Yeah, so I did start a sequel to that novel. I had I had that on like one burner, and then I was working on getting this, you know, planning to market this book and all this stuff. And that was when I asked my agent, "What can I do to help?" And he said, "Start a blog. Here's you know, start tweeting." Oh my stuff. gosh! So this was started as promotion originally. So now I realize it wasn't five years ago because five years ago I started promotion. So I think it was six years ago. Okay. And I. So I started my blog, and at first I was like, you know, again, I was writing articles, I was writing another book, I'm like, do I really need to have one more writing thing. homework? Yeah. yeah. And I thought, well, I'm gonna try everything, because why not? Right. And what, when you started your blog, what was it about when you started it? <laughs> my very first blog post yeah. was about female serial killers. I had a feeling it might have started somewhere female other than where it ended up. serial killers. Yeah, because I was like, Okay, so I should probably write something that my audience might like, sure. right? Yeah, they, like, they like death. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But then I thought, you know, you know what's better than death? Sex. Exactly. 
on your part. This is something I think about if you, in, in my case, if you're writing about your own life, mm-hmm. you know, what are my parents going to think when they read this? Oh, yeah. Girl, for sure. Yeah. So I, you, you published this, I'm guessing this blog post must have revealed things that your parents didn't know. I mean, were you nervous? I, a little bit. I mean, I, I've always pretty much been kind of outspoken about things or I felt like a lot of, I, I like to share and so, and they've heard me speak a little bit, so they kind of knew the story, but because when you're writing a story, you go a little deeper. And so it was, I think, there was that feeling of, I don't want them to feel guilty, but it's because of course, parents feel guilty anyway, and I don't blame them, I never have. Uh, so every time I do something like that, I'm always, because I did a TEDx talk also about my eating disorder, and I, I called them and I was like, 
but you guys at Elmwood are really happy childhood and you're amazing. <laughs> I feel like I have to say that all the time because I, I really am I'm so grateful for the experience that I had to 11 years ago. Do you think there was ever time when they sat in their room and they went, what have you done? Oh my gosh, every time I had student teacher conferences. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I was I was very like hyperactive as a kid and my siblings were really, they were the, my good girlness came out as like, I was doing nice things, but I was, it was a little rebellious. Like I'd leave school because I was bored, but then I'd put on a benefit concert. Like I wasn't While you were stealing ditching school? Things. Well, I would be planning it, yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, because um, you, you won an award when you were in high school, right? I did, yeah. yeah. I, I was a co-recipient of the Minnesota Peace Prize. Yeah. yeah. Um, there was a youth category, and my friend Kelly and I, we, we, we sang together and played guitar at like, coffee houses and stuff. And so I had learned that my mom had gone through a lot of abuse, and we had friends who were going through that, and we thought, let's raise money for it. And so, yeah, so we put on these concerts, and... So this has always been your path. Yeah, I mean, communicating with an activist bent. I mean, yeah. starting in high school, that's a long time to be doing a very similar thing. Yeah, it really is. And it, it didn't feel consistent whatsoever until Right, I but sometimes looking like back yeah. is when you, when you find that. Well, tell me now how you see, let's say, let's call it your brand. How do you see what you're doing now? What, what is it? Girlbrand is all about sexual empowerment, which I define as connecting with your authentic sexuality. It's not about, because the actual definition a lot of people use for empowerment is like you empower somebody, you give them their power. And I don't believe that we need to find our power outside of ourselves. I think it's something that we have within. So it's, it's really about embracing your whole self. It's about sexual wellness. It's about uh, living a spiritually connected life. I just feel that sexuality is a part of our lives that is so immersed in confusion and myths and all this stuff when it's just a beautiful thing. I mean, when people say, aren't you like shy or embarrassed? Like, what do you, do you tell people you girl brother? And I'm like, do you realize that this is, I'm saying like, hey, pleasure. Like, that's really what I'm, I'm But I'm sure saying. you but, meet with some. But what could be more radical than to just say, hey, pleasure? I think we're such a society of self-improvement and this kind of Calvinist idea of, you know, I don't know, nose to the grindstone, and, and what if we just enjoyed something? Yeah. It's so radical. I love what you just said, that it's, that pleasure is radical, because it I is. Think it is. It is. I think it's radical. I think it's political. I think it's activism in our own lives, and, wow. and when we embrace pleasure, we provide, I mean, first, we should be doing it so that we can live full lives. But of course, it's going to benefit everyone around us. That's just the way things work. And so, let's talk about the new book. It's obviously a very, putting a book like this together is obviously very different than writing a thriller. Yeah. So what sort of, what sort of steps did you take when you started um, conceptualizing this book? And how was it different? I had started a Girl Boner series on my blog. Like this is the first thing I did. I shared a story about my sex ed experience, which is chapter two of the book, although you know a different, more fleshed out version and all that. And it that blog post, I really do feel like that was one of the pivotal experiences for me because I did know that you know as a writer, of course I wanted Girl Boner to be a book. I I hoped that the blog would be helpful. It 
it was so much more helpful than I had even anticipated. And so I was concerned, like, am I going to lose a bunch of people who've been like following me for like vegetables and dogs and all this stuff? <laughs> and, uh, but everyone yeah. has that. It's true. But you must have had that bungee jumping feeling a little bit. You know, I did, but not until I don't know why. I think this happens as like maybe my subconscious is trying to protect me from that because. I don't feel it until I get published. It was the same thing with my other vulnerable story. It's like, I was like, I couldn't wait to publish this, this blog post. I'd written it and I wanted to make sure that my trademark uh, application was in because I thought everyone's gonna want to use girl boner. I just thought <laughs> it's the best thing in the world. And so, um, so I wrote this post and I'm waiting and waiting. And ironically, and I shared this yesterday in my, my other uh, presentation, but it just so happened that I was able to publish it as soon as I could was on my dad's birthday. <laughs> Happy birthday, Dad! So I can subscribe to a blog. So he gets girl daughter in his email box. <laughs> but uh, so yeah, so I was blogging every week. I, I started because I thought I'll keep it as a series first. So Mondays I was doing girl daughter, and then Thursdays I would do thrillers or dogs or vegetables, mm -hmm. whatever. And so I said, it's Girl Boner Monday, because your Monday could use a little lift. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and then pretty soon I realized I didn't need to separate it. Everyone was, there were more I mean, I'm sure I lost some people. I get the occasional yeah, ruined people. people. Yeah, the vegetable yeah. people, they want to read about vegetables. I know. And I do have a, a lovely blog post about vegetables. That and sex, I knew you were going to go, I knew you were going there. Vegetarian tastes better, I'm just saying. <laughs> Larry, oh, vegetarian. Larry, vegetarian. I'm enjoying I have to say something. Larry already knows this, but I have to tell you this because um, when I had sex ed in high school, first of all, this is true, nonfiction writer speaking, my sex ed teacher's name was Dick Wigglesworth. <laughs> That's true. Oh and God. the first day of class, and I was raised Catholic, but I went to a public school and he said, um, I don't think you can do this anymore, but Dick Wigglesworth said, um, I'm gonna teach you Dick Wigglesworth's uh, sex ed. State of California says I have to, here it is. Dick Wigglesworth's rules. Read the Bible, do what it says, that's it. And, and then it was driver's ed. That? Yeah, driver's ed from that moment that was on. It. Like literally you went to cars from that? Mm -hmm. What a, what a missed opportunity. And you know what my mom said? <laughs> 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 like, yeah, this no is idea. the perfect job for you. And my mom, who goes to Mass every day and is like this awesome woman, goes, I told her what happened. And she said, Did you really think you'd go by Richard? That was all the sex that I got. My mom didn't pick it up from there. So, anyway, I wish there had been Girl Boner when I was in high school, right? It's so awesome that kids can just. Get online and hopefully find your site and not other sites. That is true. They can find all kinds of stuff yeah. online. Um, something occurred to me while you were talking just now. You're talking about vulnerability, feeling vulnerable when you posted these things, you know, get ready, get sent. But was there any part of your training as an actress that made that easier? Because aren't actresses, you're always looking to find that vulnerability, right? That's what makes an actor or an actress really pop off the screen. That's a really good question. I don't think I had to really search my vulnerability because I'm such a deeply sensitive person, it was more finding ways to channel it. And so I do think that acting helped me a lot as a writer in general because so much of it was about 
character development and understanding your, your characters. And so even in nonfiction, the most important thing for me as I was putting my proposal together, well, after I revised it, the first version I didn't think about this, and I think it's why it wasn't as strong. Once I knew my audience better, I thought, this is not about me. What what do I want to accomplish and who are these characters? Like what do they want to hear about? So do you get you get feedback on the blog? You get you're I are you in conversation with people? Very much so. And it shifted from public comments mm -hmm. to mostly emails and private messages. Wow. And That's a lot of responsibility. Yeah, it is. I guess it is, but I it feels like a it really does feel like a privilege to me that people Trust me, and I, I do have a, an anonymous way for people to submit messages to where they can use my message box, mm -hmm. and that way they can use whatever name they want. I only have their email, and I have a, a little disclaimer letting them know that I, you know, keep their their identity private and stuff. And I, you know, obviously wouldn't just share things without, without talking to them, but I, I answer a listener's question each week on Girl Runner Radio, and I have a clinical sex therapist, Dr. Megan Fleming in New York, who also answers. And so it's it's really fun. I I I also feel like I wish I had that resource. I okay. wish that you know I had someone I could just ask the questions to. I ask questions and I just got a lot of like screams or people just like telling me I could go to hell or you know it, it was never oh well here's the answer you know I'm not gonna judge you here let's talk about it it was yeah. and I didn't even realize that because it's so normalized to, to go oh my god you just said that don't touch that please do not touch down there it's like a really common thing for people to hear yeah hmm. <laughs> so now being a writer is one component of something much larger for you yeah is that a good thing or a bad thing I love it. Yeah, I love it. The wonderful thing about having a podcast, as you both know, is the massive crowds that come to see us. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it's incredible. You get to connect with an audience. Yeah. And yeah, so now, and especially with the book too, and being here at Storyport and meeting incredible people, the audiences have been amazing, and they're just mingling around and talking to people. I really missed that more than I realized when I was compulsively just writing. So it's been really healthy for me too. And how how's that changed your goals? You know, if, if your goals when you decided you're going to write, I'm going to write a book, you did that. But now I think your goals seem much bigger than writing a book. Mm -hmm. The book you wrote, like I said, it's a component. It's something to to complete this much larger picture. Yeah, I mean, because I had that sense of when I say I've always wanted to change the world. And, or contribute in some way or, or make a positive impact, it's not because I'm like, I am Boner Girl the superhero. <laughs> it's because. So you said Boner Girl. I know. Yes. Right, so I this is a new avenue I've opened up for you. <laughs> I told you, I'm hitting the cake. But it just sounds like something that would be said horribly to a girl in high school. But what if she just turned it around and said, I am Boner just Girl, look at my cake? Took the power. There you go. I see it already. All right. But uh, but when I, when I say that, I do want to make an impact. It's a lot of that is self-preservation for me because when you are a very sensitive person, it's really hard to deal with the political climate, you know, things, social issues. When you feel all that deeply, for me, I need I I get by by feeling like I'm at least making an attempt to contribute. So. so in doing this, you know, I think that could go either way. In doing this, you could either be um, feel empowered by it, mm -hmm. use that term, or you could feel exhausted by it. 
at the end of the day, you could say the horror girl needs the night off. <laughs> I mean, not joking, I'm a horror yeah. girl part, but you know, just I, I can't see people anymore. I can't help anyone right now. Right. I just need to take a break. Or you could eat off it and continue to get more energy. Which one are you? Yeah. I have learned the importance of boundary setting, which I talk about in Girl Matter as well. I have a, a chapter on owning your yeses and your noes and consent and boundaries throughout your life. Women. It is because we really are encouraged to kind of do everything. And, and so that has been really crucial in my own healing process in my life. And it's something that I have applied to Girl Matter as well. So for example, I don't, I really try not to do any kind of work in the evening. Uh, I take days off now. You know, I it would be easy for me to allow myself to kind of get overly. Well, overly. yeah, because what's the emotional weight of having strangers count on you like mm -hmm. that? I mean, I know even Bridget feels it because she's become somewhat of an expert <laughs> in women's art history and the demands, not just time demands, but also, oh, thank God you're here. You're going to save me. How do you juggle that? What really helps me is that Girl Owner is also about fun and pleasure. So we talk about serious topics. In my Girl Owner book, we talk about trauma. You can't talk about women's sexuality without talking about trauma. And while we do need to address it, there's, there's so much focus on having a good time. And so I, I get to interview comedians, and I get to, you know, I interviewed uh, Emma last night, she's amazing. And so I find that I approach life, it's the co-owner lifestyle to be like, It's a lifestyle brand. It is. It's aspirational. <laughs> yeah. We are almost out of time, but I did want to ask, I know it seems kind of strange on the eve of the release of your book, but what are you working on now? Are you working on another book, or do you see one in the future? And if so, what's left to say? There's so much left to say. Yeah, I teed that up for you. <laughs> yeah. um, I have several ideas for girl owner books, additional girl owner books. So I, I don't have enough to solidify to share like, specifics about them, but I would love to broaden the conversation because even selecting the topics for this girl owner book it could have been seven times as long, and I, I don't think I would have run out of, of things. Plus, I weave in a lot of people's stories. So, like, there's a lot of uh, LGBTQIA focus, and we have a chapter on gender identity and orientation, and it was really important to me to have people sharing their own stories in right. that chapter. So, we never run out of stories, and Girl yeah. is very much about stories. And what does your writing schedule look like? Do you have time to write? Yeah, yeah, I write almost every day. Uh, Wednesdays are my, my girl burner radio days. Totally dedicated to that. I go into a studio to record. And I, I still write articles and I work with sponsors on girl burner as well. So there is more administrative stuff, you know, coming into it. Have you gotten to the point where you need help with all that stuff or do you have help with all that stuff? Well, luckily I have incredible publishers, Amberjack Publishing who are right here in Boise, an incredible, incredible support system for me. I also, I, I've been at that point though where it's like, you almost can't do it all. Like, you never do it all on your own, right? Oh my gosh. Ever. I, I have someone else who does all my sound, and I don't, I don't record my own 
episodes or anything. I have some of the records my son too. Yeah, me. <laughs> <laughs> it's really nice. Andy. I know you just show up. You I just know. There's no gender stereotype. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I do. I I I hired my first like paid intern for this blog fest that I run because I was just like. There is just no way, but I couldn't quite hire someone fully yet. That's yeah. why I like mentored her, and she made some money also. But I, I would love to hire an assistant. I think that's in the, in the hopefully nearest future. It will change your life. That's all I'm gonna say. Yeah. Well, ladies, we are out of time. Can I just mention the I was just gonna tell you to mention, ask you to mention that. You need to mention everything. Mention everything. 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 Well, no. Your website, your Twitter handle, yeah. whatever you want to mention. Start with where they can find the book. So, Girl Boner, The Good Girl's Guide to Sexual Empowerment will be available in August wherever books are sold. You can also pre-order a copy at Mrs. Cook's Books, right back there. We have samplers, which have kind of smattering some of the chapters, fun. some fun stories in there that have this beautiful cover and some more information about the book, and I would love for you to, to have one of those. If you uh, would like to listen to Girl Boner, you can find Girl Boner Radio on Spotify and iHeartRadio and iTunes. And my website, augustmclaughlin.com, you can subscribe to my email list. I send an update about once a month with extras that you don't get anywhere else. And I love hearing from people. So if anyone wants to email me again, it's private, august at augustmclaughlin.com. You know what, BQ? Yeah. We're only going to have two or three people on from now. I know, I love That's this. incredible. It's so fantastic. That's an audience. Usually we have to drag things out. I know, like, and what is your Twitter handle? And then they look it up. Sometimes they say, I don't know. But speaking of that, what about you? What if they want to know more about you? Yeah. Bridget Quinn, um, author. I thank, you for, thank you for asking, Mary. I'm going to spell my name right. I actually spelled my name incorrectly once. Did you? Um, <laughs> on air. And uh, yes. She wasn't I'm, a child. <laughs> You can find me at the Quindrest. Quinn is spelled with two N's, it was nice to know. Um, on Instagram or Twitter at BridgetQuinnAuthor.com for everything else. Yeah, yeah, Quinn. Yeah, yeah, Quinn. Uh, as for me, I'm on Twitter at that Larry Rosen. Uh, what's the other one? Instagram? Yeah, yeah that one too. That. And I have another podcast if you love the sound of my voice, and you can find that at isitgoodforthejews.com. Total pivot right there. <laughs> and Larry is also building an empire. Yeah. One the writing to empire. Tiny little empire. As for the Grotto Pod, uh, we're on Twitter at the Grotto Pod, um, and email grottopod at gmail.com. Should we thank our producers even though they're not here? Of course. Okay, of course, producer. we need to thank Beth Weingartner and Lee Kravitz and Lorianne Doyle for all of their assistance that makes the Grotto Pod possible. And thanks to StoryCorps for having us. Absolutely. Woohoo! So we're having a great time. I know, it's excellent. Thank so we always end our podcast with one little phrase that Bridget gives you, so I'm going to turn, over, turn it over to her to give it to you now. All right, everyone, you need to do like August and read, write, and just keep working. Thank you. Thank you, everyone, for coming in.